This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, I hope you had a great weekend. Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way. We have a... Uh, George Tuliger joining us shortly. He's a partner of a law firm. Uh, I want him to unwind what's going on uh, with this whole uh, nomination of uh, possibly could be the next Supreme Court justice. We'll talk about that, what it's going to take, and what are the, I guess, reliable indicators on whether she's going to get passed, and then how she'll rule. Because it's clear that Democrats want to say, with Amy Conan uh, Barrett, they're not going to say she is not smart. They're not going to beat up on a mom of seven who adopts two kids from Haiti, one of which with special needs. Uh, they're not going to say she wasn't number one in her class in Notre Dame. Uh, they're not going to say that she has respect on both sides of the aisle and with great experience at a uh, relatively young age. But they're going to say she's going to undo health care. Uh, Obamacare. That's coming up the second week in November. They are going to say she could tilt the election if it gets to the Supreme Court, and it is indeed that close. They are going to say that she's going to undo Roe v. Wade because she is so pro-life. We will see how she'll handle that. And we already got word that about four Supreme Court justices, excuse me, four senators will not even hear her nomination. They won't even meet with her on Zoom. Classless. Let's get to the big three. According to these new documents, in 10 of the previous 15 years, the president paid no income tax, largely because his businesses reported losing much more money than they actually earned. Big story. After four years of delay, somehow the New York Times gets two decades of Trump taxes. We don't actually get the taxes. We get their interpretation of the taxes, what they say he paid and didn't, and show how much and, and how much will it actually matter to you. Number two. Today it is my honor to nominate one of our nation's most brilliant and gifted legal minds to the Supreme Court. She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And by the way, he's not overstating it. He, she is that impressive. She officially becomes the SCOTUS nominee. The nomination has been made, uh, and that now we're going to see the scrutiny start, and the Democratic boycott has already taken shape. We talk about the issues. We'll talk about the rhetoric. Number one. One of these two people uh, is going to be the next president of the United States, and my job is to be as invisible as possible. If I've done my job right, at the end of the night, people will say, that was a great debate. Who was the moderator? Yeah, more from Chris Wallace. He gave an interview to Brett Baer. He's been kind of quiet, doesn't want to create any controversy, and wants to prepare. Debate day eve. Both men prepare their attacks and their defenses. As the policies and pass, while we have, uh, they'll have to defend them and they'll have to explain them to each other and with Chris Wallace making sure they're accurate. Trump's taxes are now in there. The Ukraine story, I think the report that Ron Johnson put out, is now in there. And I think we have another revelation in the Russia investigation should be in there. And also the Supreme Court justice seat. 
all playing a role. So let's get started. Those are the big three, and it could have been a big eight. Sorry about that. I just dropped everything I owned. Uh, But so far, if you look at the polls, no big shock. Like last time, Trump's trailing. In Michigan, he's trailing by eight, according to NBC. In Wisconsin, according to NBC, he's trailing by 10. In CBS says in Georgia, it's a dead heat. In North Carolina, it's a dead heat. The general election on the real clear average, 49-42. But it doesn't really matter on popular vote at this point. Battleground states, looking at uh, some of these polls, the real clear average. In Florida, uh, Trump is, tr- is, is basically in a dead heat. In Pennsylvania, uh, it is four-point advantage for Biden. In Michigan, it's a five-point advantage for Biden on the average. In Wisconsin, as I mentioned, it's a seven-point. North Carolina, basically dead heat. Arizona, three-point advantage on the average for Arizona uh, for Biden. But keep in mind, too, it's trending in the president's direction. So approaching this election with the president behind conventional wisdom says he is. We'll talk about the Supreme Court Justice Pizza side, and we'll talk about the taxes in detail shortly. But on the debate specifically, I was watching some of Chris Wallace's moderate debate, about 45 minutes of it. I'll get through all two hours tomorrow and give you more of an insight. But I was just shocked how tuned in the president was. Not saying he's not now. I mean, I watch him every day, and and we watch him every day, go to the tarmac, going in front of the press, uh, does his interviews with Jonathan Swan, Chris Wallace, uh, just did one here. Uh, Hostile, non-hostile, insightful, Mark Levin, uh, gotcha, nonstop. And the president's ready to go, and he's going to listen, and he's going to be much more prepared than he's letting on. He's telling everyone, yeah, I do a little bit of preparing. Yeah, mostly I just, I live this, I do this job every day that gets me ready. That's a big trap that sitting presidents make, and that's why they do traditionally so bad in the first debate. Philippe Reince uh, was a key aide to Hillary Clinton and was Donald Trump for Hillary Clinton to play out how to debate someone so unconventional. Listen to how he described studying and preparing Hillary for Donald Trump. Cut 12. Something that's very different about four years ago is that what was very tough about Donald Trump and what Hillary realized, too, she never thought he was easy, was that within the kind of word salad, he was very laser-focused on trade, health care, Mm-hmm. Uh, the swamp and and immigration, and no matter how op- odd it was sounding, he banged on it over and over again. Now, every time he has a camera in front of him, he can't help but list and go through his grievances, and that's not message. And you know what? President Trump needs these debates far more than Joe Biden yeah. does. By her own polls, it's yeah. not going well for him. Well, I, I wouldn't say that last line, but I think the president wants these debates. He wants to square off and because Joe Biden doesn't even go out and campaign. He's blaming the virus, but I blame him. You know he doesn't want to campaign. And for some reason, Harris doesn't either. They feel as though they won this already. They don't want any major problem. But why Harris isn't? I mean, you put her on a script, ask her a few questions, get her policies down. She's, she's a prosecutor. She's used to being on her feet, a sitting senator who is an attorney general. She can't handle all these questions. I thought... The issue here would be me saying it's like Harris is running for president because she's doing so many interviews. And it's not. She has not done any. I don't think she's done any since she got the job. And Joe Biden has done almost none. And now he's got these issues. It's pretty amazing that The New York Times, this story drops. um, This story drops last night. And Joe Biden's camp already has. A full-blown ad running on it, how the Donald Trump only pays $750, according to the New York Times, a year in taxes. And we'll explain that in a second. 
So in terms of Joe Biden, he's been a terrible debater. He was a terrible candidate as a nominee. He had blown the whole thing. He had blown his money in New Hampshire, blown his, uh, blown out in Iowa. And then when they get to South Carolina, the only thing that scared the Democrats was how well Bernie Sanders had been doing, and he just did well in Nevada. And they said, in South Carolina, that's going to be the stopgap. We can't have a socialist. And they propped him up. So the president, without being mean, has to take him out. Call Rove. Cut 13. It's one thing if, if, if Joe Biden tomorrow night says 200 million Americans have died of coronavirus and mistakes Iraq for Iran or vice versa. It's another thing if we see him, you know, not being able to remember the words of the Pledge of Allegiance or stumbling off into the ether because we don't have the normal campaign. And as a result, we've not been conditioned by seven months of activity since he became the Democratic nominee to have a good sense of who he is and come to the conclusion that he's up to the job. So it raises the stakes tomorrow night. We don't know as much about him as we know about President Trump, who's dominated the media for the last three and a half years, for good or for ill. But, but if there are big slip-ups, it could be very problematic. So Frank Luntz came out and said, President Trump, should not attack Biden's fitness. If he's doing poorly, that'll say the, that'll say the story. The former vice president is having a bad night. Let everybody evaluate that at home. But you go out for the kill without mocking his uh, problems he might be having with age because you want seniors to vote, and they might be in saying, hey, I'm the same way. I screw up things too, uh, or I sometimes stumble over my words as well. You don't want to be a sympathetic figure, and you could do that. He also says the president's strongest asset uh, is Biden's long record in government. He might address with a single question, quote, if you have failed for 47 years, why should we expect success now? Biden's game plan, according to Frank, he should approach the debate like a prosecutor before a jury, building a case point by point over 90 minutes, why he does not deserve four more years. One thing is pretty clear. Even over the weekend, Joe Biden was, at, was given a speech, and he said that he's been in the Senate for 180 years. All right. It's not the end of the world. But if you keep on adding up him saying 200 million people die with the coronavirus here, you say that he was running for vice president instead of president. When he says that Harris is at the top of the ticket and he's not, it adds up. So Jake Tapper widely, uh, wisely asked Jill Biden about it and listen to Jill Biden. Cut 14. Your husband has been known uh, to make the occasional gaffe. Uh, oh, you can't even go there. You can after Donald Trump. You well, cannot even say the word. I can't gaff. even say the word gaff. Nope. But you not nope. even... done. It's gone. The gaff issue is over. Because... Over. So over. Wow. Is that all you have to do is just say that's done? Oh, the coronavirus. That's done. It's so over. You have to understand. You might not agree with Donald Trump and a lot of people don't. But you can't say they're gaffes. You could say, well, he shouldn't have said what he was thinking. But he was thinking. I don't know if Joe Biden's thinking all the time. So here's Biden. So the other big story was the Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett gets rolled out, and she could not be more impressive. In fact, if you're going to go after her as a mom, you're crazy. If you're going to go after her intellect and background, you're nuts. They're going to go after her religion. They're going to say she's involved in a Catholic charismatic church. They're going to say that she's going to bring her pro-life stance to her decisions. And she's going to say uh, on November 10th, I believe, when Obamacare comes before the Supreme Court, if she's actually seated, she will vote to get rid of it because she already was critical of John Roberts for voting to keep it when Barack Obama was president. So that's why Joe Biden reached to the microphone and wants to avoid all this. Cut 21. 
And I urge every senator to take a step back from the brink, take off the blinders of politics for just one critical moment, and stand up for the Constitution you swore to uphold. This is a time to de-escalate, to put an end to the shattering of precedents that has thrown our nation into chaos under this president. Just because you have the power to do something doesn't absolve you of your responsibility to do right by the American people. Uh, I don't see it happening. I think the Republicans are very much united. I even think Murkowski is going to come along the way. And even though they started voting and it's unorthodox, but it's not unprecedented, she's going to get her nomination. Democrats, uh, four of them, including Schumer and Blumenthal and Gillibrand, are not even going to give her a chance or hear her out. You don't have to go visit with her, but you do a Zoom call is offered. Guys like Dick Durbin will see her. But she will not go and do the traditional rounds, which makes Matt Gates and other people say, and Ted Cruz, why are we wait until October 16th? Do it now. If you don't have to worry about Democrats meeting or they don't want to meet her, let's just get this over with quicker. So that's going to be key. But in terms of who, how impressive she is, I thought Noah Feldman, you remember famously, he testified against the president in his impeachment hearing, despised the president in his judicial picks. He's a, he's a Democrat. But listen to what he said, because he knows her. Cut 20. The Supreme Court stands for the idea that we should try. We need to try, even in our most contested issues, to debate and discuss it in the light of what the Constitution says and in light of what the Constitution means. And in order for us to lower the temperature a little bit in that context, I believe we need the smartest and best people, including the smartest and best people whom we disagree with all the way down the line. And let me be clear. Judge Barrett and I disagree on just about every important constitutional issue and most important statutory issues, but I think she's the best interlocutor that one could have under the circumstances. That's not the same thing as saying that I think she's right. But she's good, and that's the problem. Go beat up on a mom of seven. They said they watched her get into a uh, a minivan, an odyssey, and loading up her family in that, and one of the Republicans go, have at it, Democrats. Good luck. So uh, we'll see. Vanity Fair did a story that it reminds me of the Kardashians who stuff their au pairs and their nannies in the closet and they pretend like they're actually raising their kids. I don't think that's an apt analogy that's going to help you, Vanity Fair. And it's certainly not going to help Democrats because to to ridicule her because she has a career and her husband has a career, I think, is uh, is a leap that Americans will be extremely turned off by. But remember, one of the questions Many of the questions to Kavanaugh was, in your high school yearbook, what does Ralphing mean? That's, they were going to her high school yearbook. I don't know what people wrote to her, but anything's up for grabs. one 866 I'll take your calls when we get back. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, we'll go inside the nomination with George Terwilliger. Don't move. This is a Monday edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. And I think the recent report about the taxes is really going to be the Achilles heel. It's going to continue the the, the narrative around uh, the president. All he talks about is the stock market. The president talked about when he ran last time before he got elected that he was going to raise taxes on the wealthy, expand health care, and then rebuild the United States with a $2 trillion infrastructure bill. And the reality is he cut taxes for the rich, lowered the corporate tax rate, and all he talks about is the stock market. So this him not paying taxes or paying $750 in taxes when the average worker in Youngstown, Ohio, probably paid more than that, is going to continue that narrative. And that's a big opening for the vice president. Well, we'll see. That is Tim Ryan, the failed uh, presidential candidate, miserably, the congressman out of Ohio. And the, the, the debate's going to be in Ohio. So they're talking about the tax records that were released, but not the tax records, their interpretation of the tax records. The Trump organization, when they heard about this, they said this, Alan Garten, a lawyer for the Trump Organization, quote, most of it, if not all the facts, appear to be inaccurate and, re- I, and requested documents on which they were based. After the Times declined to provide the records in order to protect its sources, Mr. Garten took direct issue only with the amount of taxes Trump paid. Over the past decade, the president has paid tens of millions of dollars in personal taxes to the federal government, Garden said. Garden gave a similar statement to the Times, which said it believed Garden was conflating federal income taxes and the other kinds of taxes. So here's the thing. This is what roughly what they're saying. They say, from what they've seen, he paid no income taxes between 10 of the previous 15 years. Larger reported losing more money. Also hanging over him is a decade-long audit battle, which is true. Exactly what he was saying with the IRS over the legitimacy of $72.9 million tax refund. An adverse ruling cost him $100 million. $30 million in loans it comes due over the next three years. And they brought that up in this. They report that Trump owns hundreds of millions of dollars in valuable assets, but they do not reveal his true wealth. We'll see. It goes into detail, page upon page upon page. The Times said they have obtained tax record data for President Trump extending over the... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The past two decades, it shows the finances under stress, beset by losses, and he, aggre- and he aggressively employs to avoid paying taxes and hundreds of millions in debt. So when Donald Trump Jr. came on, we asked him, cut 28. My father's paid tens of millions of taxes. If he does things in certain years where you get depreciation, where you get write-off, where you get historical tax credits like we did when we took on the risk of building the old post office in D.C., it's the perfect example. That was literally a government contract. We bid against every hotel company in the world. Historical tax credits that you use to offset tax payments for taking the risk to build that. That was done under the Obama administration. It literally took an act of Congress to get it done. So with that comes historical tax credits. That's the reality. People don't understand what goes into a business. It doesn't include property taxes. It doesn't include payroll taxes. It doesn't include real estate taxes. It doesn't include so many of the things that he's been paying taxes on forever. As he's- and that's key. What is Joe Biden owned? How big is Joe Biden's payroll? When you buy a building, you employ people. Day before... Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Well, we'll have to see what happens. You know that. Do you commit to making sure that there's a peaceful transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots and you'll have a very trans... We'll have a very peaceful... There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. (laughs) That's the President of the United States driving the press nuts by saying, I'm not necessarily, he said it last time, I'm not going to just concede. I want to find out what's going on uh, before I say that I, that I lost or won. George Terwilliger joins us now. He's a partner at the law firm McGuire Woods, served in the Justice Department, including as Deputy Attorney General and Acting Attorney General. George, welcome. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. So the president is openly uh, worried about the states especially that for the first time ever – are doing non-requested ballots in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, in Nevada. The ballots are just going to the addresses that uh, they think are in the voter rolls. And he's worried about that, and that's how it played out. Probably inartfully said, but does he have a right to be worried? Um, uh, Yes, I mean, uh, worried, concerned. Um, Yes, of course, because we're in a very strange time where— um, almost every process of government, and particularly as you get to the state and local level, has been upset by COVID concerns. And um, it's, it seems to me that um, that it's how you react to that concern that really matters here. And um, I think you know the president, the president's rhetoric um, can be very. Um, can be very strong sometimes. But the fact of the matter is that um, I think we can fully expect that the election will play out, may play out um, a little longer and a little more involved uh, than normal. But as long as everybody in the election world does their job well, I think we'll be okay. We hope. Uh, And then the fact is Michigan's going to wait up to two weeks to count all the ballots. And we know that's going to be a tight uh, vote. And that's another week for Pennsylvania and others. So I just, it's too bad you can't do anything universal. 
and just say, you know, by a certain date. In America, you should not take, doesn't take two weeks to mail out a ballot in state, right? That's right. I mean, Congress, uh, Congress has um, uh, adopted some rules, as you know, Brian, for how the post-election process works on the federal level. And since this is our only um, national presidential election, um, that law is in effect. And basically, it sets time limits for the selection of the electors from the various states. But that interplays with the power of the state legislatures to prescribe the means by which those electors are selected. And that belongs exclusively to the state legislatures, Um, even to the point that if there are election contests that wind up in court, that is contested elections that wind up in court proceedings, those court proceedings have to be conducted according to the rules and procedures that the state legislature has prescribed. Understood. So the uh, the other thing I understand is uh, all summer the president's put together a pretty impressive team, they say, to be prepared to flood into multiple states. You were involved in Gore and Bush. That was one state. How many states it could be up for grabs if this thing is close? And then how many lawyers do you need? <laughs> uh, that sounds like that old joke about how many lawyers <laughs> does it take to do X. Um it, it's it's going to take a lot of uh, a number of lawyers because um, you know things start at a very low level. If you recall in Bush v. Gore, there were lawyers down at the county and precinct level in some cases watching to make sure things were done right. I think the biggest thing we have to fear um, in this election is activist judges who try to change the rules governing the election after the election's been held, and and that is a no-no under federal law. And that's really what drove the Bush v. Gore final decision at the end of the day, because the Florida Supreme Court started tinkering with the deadlines for reporting the results of elections and um, making decisions about what standards would be used to judge whether a a ballot was a valid vote. And there is a difference between a ballot and a valid vote. Understood. So the other big story is the nomination of a Supreme Court justice and Amy uh, Conan uh, Barrett. My sense is no one's going to mess with her qualifications. But when it comes to her rulings in which she's written, that's where people might have trouble and politics could enter into the fray. Roe v. Wade, uh, clearly she's pro-life personally. And the other one is Obamacare. She was critical of John Roberts in writing of his decision not to nullify it. So if she's if you're helping her get ready, how do you handle both those issues? Well, I think, first of all, um, she's a she's a home run of a a Supreme Court candidate for any one of a number of reasons that are now, I think, well recognized. I think in response to to your question on the those two issues, um, she may be pro-life in her own uh, in her own private views, but she's also a judge who has a respect for stare decisis. And there are other judges on the court who are in a similar position. So I don't think um, in an individual case, particularly how narrowly some of the abortion questions come before the court now, I, I don't think you can predict how she will rule in any particular Uh, in any particular uh, dispute that may come before the court. In terms of what she said about the chief justice in the Obamacare uh, tax 
decision, so-called tax. Um, you know, I, I saw that more as a cogent observation than a criticism. Um, I, I believe she basically said that it appeared that he bent over backwards um, to find uh, that, in fact, the payment in question was, in fact, a tax, which would save the law uh, under the Constitution. There is no question that John Roberts, who I worked closely with in the Justice Department when he was the Deputy Solicitor General, is an institutionalist when it comes to the Supreme Court, and he wants to protect the court as an institution. And that's not a bad motivation. Um, whether that took that consideration too far, I think, is a judgment that'll have to be left to the future. With the with uh, the voting already happening in some states, do you think the president made the right decision? Yes, I, I do think he made the right decision. I was really struck by looking at some of the <clears throat> historical antecedents um, to the timing um, of, of this particular decision. I, I, I'll confess that originally I thought maybe the president should wait for both political and, and other reasons. But I think this is the right decision. And um, I don't think it's it would be healthy to have a uh, an eight member, an even number of justices on the court if we're going to have uh, right. questions about the presidential election wind up before that court. Did uh, Mitch McConnell make the right move in holding off Merrick Garland for the pre for President Obama? Uh, whether it's the right move or not, you know, it's uh, as I heard Karl Rove observe the other day, politics in the back room, shocking. Um, you know, it's, it, it is both the positions of both parties on these two matters have been totally 180 degrees. That's politics. So the other story is, what about the pace of the nomination? If Dem four Democratic senators, probably more, are just going to punt when it comes to their ability, their option of interviewing her for the job, even though they have to do it face to face, it'll be they'll, she's supposed to get her nomination October 12th through the 16th. They are just not, you know, from Schumer to. Uh, Jill, Gillibrand to Blumenthal, they're not doing it. So if, you're not, if they're not going to hear her, you could probably pick up the pace on the whole nomination process. Then George Stephanopoulos brought this up yesterday, Cut 22. I read a piece by Adam Gentleson, who was a top staffer for Harry Reid, earlier this week. He suggested Democrats could come up works in the Senate. They could systematically deny unanimous consent to meet. They could have a series of quorum calls. That's not good enough? I know Adam. I like Adam and uh, respect him, but he's wrong. We could slow it down, perhaps a matter of hours, maybe days at the most, but we can't stop the outcome. So that's not true. Who's right there? Durbin or the aide to... Harry Reid. Uh, you know, Richard Durbin is a uh, is a uh, maven of the Senate Rules and Procedures, so um, I I don't know the answer to that substantively, but I suspect that he has the better part of that argument. But but there's part of that that whole scenario that's very disturbing to me. Brian, and I think to, to many Americans, the refusal to meet with a nominee uh, to the Supreme Court face to face um, is just another example of how oh, just ridiculously politicized um, our our government um, and our governing and our political leaders have become. Um, it, it's just to me, it's just ridiculous to do that. Uh, meet her, meet her as a person, meet her as a professional, and then make a judgment. If you're going to vote against her, fine, but don't boycott the process.
So if you are them, the, evidently Democrats, I, I agree with everything you just said. And I think Republicans are, can be almost as petty. But I would also say this. Uh, it's clear that they're worried about Dianne Feinstein as the ranking member being up to the task for tough questions. And they're going to look to highlight Kamala Harris, vice presidential nominee. How does, how does the political side highlight Kamala Harris in this? Um, I think uh, at their peril, um, putting her on the front of opposing um, or, or, uh, or challenging um, the nomination of somebody that is this eminently well qualified, I think, you know, it may excite their base, um, but that's going to be there anyway. I think this issue, the issue of this particular justice and this appointment to the Supreme Court uh, may be one that sways thinking independence in the president's favor. Gotcha. Uh, I'll tell you, George Twilliger, it's going to be an exciting uh, couple of weeks in between there. The debate tomorrow night, election six weeks away, and then the confirmation hearing kicks off to October 12th. Could get a vote, should have a vote before November 3rd. So much going on. Thanks so much for joining us, George. We'll talk to you again. Pleasure. All right. Pleasure. You got it. one 408 7669 I'll give you a chance to talk, I promise. You had a lot going on over the weekend. What about this tax revelation? Does it matter? You know, they did an estimate. Only 6% of the population has not made up their mind yet. Are you one of them? Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. So funny, Senator Kennedy. And that's what people are saying, that, you know, she might not be the person to get rid of Roe v. Wade, but health care. I think they're actually real issues, not Roe v. Wade, but they say there are 12 cases coming up that could get to the uh, Supreme Court. But I think the Obamacare is real, and it's up to the White House to help her out because she knows how she feels. We know Obamacare is uh, not a good program. We know nobody relishes having it, but it's something. And there's people fear you're going to lose whatever you had. It's going to go. You're not going to have that option. If she gets to the court. So if someone's undecided or they're ambivalent, they don't care either way or they were going to vote. Now they're going to vote against you. Why put her in that spot? Why put yourself in that spot if you're the president of the United States? Listen to Nancy Pelosi digging in on this issue. And they're going to be pounding this. If the Dem- if the Democrats are disciplined, they will be pounding this, not on her Christianity. I'm not sure they can't do both. And if they do both, it's going to help the president. When you hit her, hit her on her Christianity, it's going to help the president. Cut 23. Right now, what is on the table is a court case uh, that Republicans uh, have, have advocated for overturn of the uh, Affordable Care Act. That is the case that is on the table in the Supreme Court. So that is where okay. our concern is. And that's who they're going to keep bringing up. They're going to keep pounding that if they're disciplined. But if they get personal, it's really going to help. It is absolutely going to help the uh, is going to help the White House because when they see people un- hit unfairly, like Kavanaugh. I mean, literally, we're we're looking back. We were flashing back today to some of the questions to him in eleventh grade in your yearbook. You wrote about drinking. Is that something you did a lot? Do you ever black out? Did you ever not remember? 
Oh, my goodness. Joe, listen on WRCN in Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Uh, listen, I just wanted to see if we can get something to the president because tomorrow's the debate. You know, there's an old saying, say what you mean, but don't be mean. And please tell him. I was going to let you say that, but please tell him no name calling during the debate. He's going to lose the suburban women. He said he could be presidential. Please, Mr. President, show us tomorrow. Be the bigger man on that stage because you're going to lose those undecided and, and especially the white suburban women. I told you I got seven sisters. My wife, they say, please stop with the Pocahontas. Stop with the mini mic. You have to show us. You said you would. Say what you mean, but don't be mean. You're the, you're the smarter man up there. You're a good man. I'm just putting my pledge because I want the man to win for the country, Brian. You know that. I, for all Americans out there, for the police, for uh, everything we stand for, God, country, family, the American Legion creed for 100 years. Thank you for giving me the time, Brian, it. to say my uh, pledge. Joe, I, I hear you uh, because not so much you. You know, I know some people are so angry. Uh, they say, you just go out, just let Donald Trump be Donald Trump. But you have to be smart. There's certain things that you say that could tick off communities that you definitely need in your in your corner. And suburban women, Joe Biden has done better on. He hasn't earned it. President Trump has given it up. Listen to Biden talk about what he's expecting. Cut six. Look, the people know the president's a liar. I mean, they know that. Uh, it's not like it's, uh, um, it's going to come as a surprise to them. And so I'm prepared to go out and make my case as to why I think he's failed. My guess is it's going to be just straight attack. They're going to be mostly personal. That's the only thing he knows how to do. Yeah, uh, I think that he's prepared for the attack, but he's not prepared for a researched attack. For example, instead of saying, where's Hunter? You tell him exactly what happened. Why did you let your son come with you on Air Force Two? There were reports that you knew exactly the deal he was looking to cut when he flew over there. Is that the type of judgment you're going to show? And are you going to show, are you going to allow him to invest with prostitutes, with a Moscow mayor, and you're saying, I'm too close to Vladimir Putin? I have only met him since I got this job. I never even met him uh, face-to-face. That's researched attack. And that's what I think Joe Biden's got to be ready for. Cut seven. He doesn't know how to debate the facts because he's not that smart. He doesn't know that many facts. He doesn't know much about foreign policy. He doesn't know much about domestic policy. He doesn't know much about the detail. And so he can do what he wants. I think he'll, like you said, it'll be mostly, you know, uh, personal attacks and and lies. But uh, I think the American people are on to him. Okay. There was a time when you could say to the president, you know, he was a businessman. What does he really know about these things? And you talk about Kosovo and you're talking about NATO and you wonder about Belarus. But now it's on his plate every day. So if you're going to hit him on foreign policy, uh, have at it, Joe Biden, because your foreign policy was terrible. You went to the places I give you credit, the stories you had, the policy recommendations that you put together, outside recommending action in the Balkans, which was a good thing, from not supporting the surge to not supporting the first Persian Gulf War to uh, taking out Gaddafi in Libya. These are some bad advice that you've done. Barack Obama's got a total pass on Libya. He's made it into a terror state. All he did is take the troops out of Iraq because he said you can't win there. And this after they said that we've already won there. And in comes ISIS. That's Joe Biden's legacy, too, unless he wants to start insulting Barack Obama and saying he didn't listen to my advice. Or he could start insulting AOC and say I'm not a socialist. Somebody's going to take off. 
And that's what the president's got to do. Because he is standing on a grenade right now. A grenade on his side. That'll go off if he ticks off the wrong sect of people. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. Michael Goodwin's going to be coming up. Uh, so with David Bossy and Corey Lewandowski. Why are they together? They like each other, number one. Number two, they got a book coming out tomorrow, officially. And that'll be, it's kind of exciting. Their third, I think, campaign book. And they're going to talk about why this president deserves four more years, obviously. And I'll tell you, I was talking to, uh, I mean, they seem much more optimistic now than they were a few months ago. What about the news, Allison, about Brad Parscale over in Florida he is uh, the 6'8 former campaign manager, and he's back in Florida. He got demoted. They said he was taking it great. Uh, he was, his focus was going to be on, on, on the whole social media push. And then he ends up being brought into a hospital and basically against his own will. Uh, they're brought into uh, under observation. So he had a gun. His wife called, and uh, you know, then they take her, took him under the Baker Act. Uh, the Baker Act, meaning if you're going to be harmed to yourself, we can uh, the cops can take you by force. Good luck with that. Uh, MME is a big guy. But I'll tell you, there's some real questions. Where is all that money? Let's get to the big three. According to these new documents, in 10 of the previous 15 years, the president paid no income tax, largely because his businesses reported losing much more money than they actually earned. After four years of delay, somehow New York Times gets what they claim is two decades worth of Trump's taxes. What do they say? What is he being paid? How much does he owe? Will it matter? Number two. Today it is my honor to nominate one of our nation's most brilliant and gifted legal minds, to the Supreme Court. She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution. Judge Amy Coney Barrett is officially Trump's SCOTUS nominee. The nomination has made uh, has been made, and now the scrutiny starts. The Democratic boycott takes shape. Senator Dick Durbin says he will not. Uh, forego that opportunity. He will talk to her via Zoom. Uh, fear-mongering begins on her faith, Obamacare, Roe v. Wade. What's the reality? We'll ask Michael Goodwin in a matter of moments. Number one. One of these two people uh, is going to be the next president of the United States, and my job is to be as invisible as possible. If I've done my job right at the end of the night, people will say, that was a great debate. Who was the moderator? Uh, they'll remember Chris Wallace. Absolutely. Debate day eve. Both men prepare their attacks and their defenses on the policies and their past. While we have two new issues front and center, Trump's taxes and, of course, the SCOTUS nominee. Let's get started. Let's bring in now Michael Goodwin. And, Michael, just a little bit of a right turn. Is something you can really relate to, being that you're located in New York, but you often write about national stories on foxnews.com especially. But how unbelievable is it since May 30th? 473 NYPD officers have been seriously hurt uh, with these riots 
and the slash protest in New York City. That is a huge number. Good morning, Brian. Yes, uh, it, it is. And it speaks to, I think, the violence uh, of these, uh, I call them protests. I can't think of another word, but it's it's the people involved. Too many of them are simply violent. And if there is any point anymore, any legitimate point to these, I think it's been lost for most Americans in the violence, not just against property, not just against civilians. Uh, it's sort of a violence against decency, too. You're in a restaurant and somebody comes and sits down and eats your food and starts calling you names. They do that. Uh, over the and then, weekend. of course, the, yeah, and and then of course these attacks against the police, and and I'm sure that uh, there are similar proportion numbers in Portland, Seattle, uh, and other cities where this has just gotten so far out of control, and it's mm-hmm. it's really uh, an attack on this country. So, uh, just wanted to cover that because I know it's it, it's uh, near and dear to your heart as it is mine. The fact that so many officers are choosing to retire rather than do this, and they've been so hamstrung by a mayor and governor. And they have not been uh, properly uh, put in their place. But the big news came last evening, early evening, that the New York Times got the president's tax record. And they say, the tax records they claim, they say 10 of the last 15 years, he largely has paid almost no taxes. Also hanging over him is a decade-long audit battle, which shows that what he was saying was true, by the way. He, they also say that he's got $300 million in loans due in the next three years. Uh, and they go over in detail. Alan Garten, a lawyer for the Trump Organization, said, quote, most of it, if not all of the facts, appear to be inaccurate and requested the documents on which they were based. After the Times declined to provide those records in order to protect its sources, they claim, Garten took direct issue on the moment on the amount of taxes Trump has paid. Over the past decade, the president has paid tens of millions of dollars in personal taxes to the federal government. Garden gave a similar statement to the Times and said it believed Garden was conflating federal income taxes and other kinds of taxes, including Social Security and Medicare. Well, how much do people care about this? Well, the New York Times, I think, would say, gee, the whole world cares about this. But then again, the New York Times um, has been off on its own form of jihad uh, ever since Donald Trump came down the escalator. Um, I don't know what to make of this report, actually, Brian, um, because from what little I know of real estate um, is that the depreciation allowance is an enormous advantage. So your, your, your property declines in value, and you are allowed to recapture that decline uh, on your taxes. Even if the, the value goes up, the, the hardware in it, the things that make it are declining. And so you, you capture that in your taxes. I mean, I think most real estate people uh, would, would have some version of this in their taxes, and it, it heavily offsets, uh, in some cases can eliminate totally. So, uh, you know, any taxes you would owe. So I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I think it is uh, incumbent on the Times to release the documents it has. There's, there's a way to do that that protects your sources. Uh, they say all their sources had the documents legally, but as others have pointed out, releasing them is not necessarily legal. Uh, and so the, some of the sources may, may have violated their own business oaths and perhaps even the law to release confidential documents if they were involved in preparing 
these documents. So there's a tangled web here. The Times has been doing this. They actually did it before. They, they said they, they dropped this bombshell a couple of years ago. It went nowhere. So it seems to be an obsession with the Times. And look, I can understand we all want as much transparency as we can with a president. Uh, Donald Trump is the first president who has declined to release his tax returns, although we should note he has released all of the required federal disclosure forms. Michael Bloomberg did something very similar in New York. Uh, he met the letter of the law uh, by releasing uh, briefly uh, documents talking about the range of his wealth and investments and income without actually releasing his tax returns. And so that's what the government requires at various levels. Donald Trump has met all the requirements. The Times demands that he releases taxes and has been hunting for these documents for, for five years. So whether they actually have them, what to make of it, I don't think this is going to change the race. What's amazing is the Atlantic has this story for two years. They released it last a few weeks ago about the president saying disparaging things about soldiers, uh, those who have lost their lives in battle and others, uh, wounded soldiers, too. Why? Well, the president's got a lot of strength with the military. They're trying to diminish that. If, if you just wanted to get a story out, you would have put it out in 2019. You would have put it out in 2018. And now all of a sudden right. the New York Times waits for Sunday night at a perfect time to release this. And yet the Biden ad runs within two hours of this coming out. We're seeing a Biden ad comparing Trump's tax returns to the fireman and the teacher. Isn't that a surprise, right? Could there have been coordination? We saw the same thing with the Atlantic ad, right? Yep. The same sort of thing. Uh, look, I think there's another timing here issue, too. I think you mentioned Chris Wallace and the debate. I think this is this is now a hot potato that's been thrown in Chris Wallace's lap. Uh, and I think that was the intent, uh, not just to do it, but to get a wider circulation, to give it prominence. And I would be surprised now if Chris Wallace doesn't feel obliged to ask the president about this. Uh, of course, with Biden, uh, you would hope there would be something of a, of a similar question about his own finances, about his son, perhaps, uh, because uh, Joe Biden accumulated a lot of money, a lot of property on a government salary. And a lot of people are wondering, you know, did his brother, did Hunter, I mean, where did he get all this money if he only was working in Congress for 50 years? And, Michael, the other thing is the president's going to bring it up. So if we're halfway through and he has not brought up Hunter Biden, you know President Trump is going to say, excuse me, uh, Chris, you have not asked me about the Ukraine. Why don't we have find out why he was dealing with the Moscow mayor, the prostitutes, why he went on Air Force Two? and then cut this deal for billions of dollars with people associated with the, the Chinese uh, people, the, the, people's, uh, the Chinese People's Army. Uh, why was he doing this? So at the very least, you know, Trump's going to throw that out there and yes. then get people to possibly follow it. But listen to this. I'm all for respecting the first and second ladies. But tell me if this is not a bridge too far in terms of deference. Jake Tapper, who grills, uh, has no problem grilling just about any Republican and some Democrats, here he is, one-on-one -on -one with Jill Biden. Cut 14. Your husband has been known um, to make the occasional gaffe. Uh, oh, you can't even go there. You can, after Donald Trump, you well, cannot even say the word gaffe. I can't gaffe. even say the word mm -mm. gaffe. Nope. But you not nope. even... Done. It's gone. The gaffe issue is over because... Over. So over. Really? Just like that, it's gone. The tax issue, is that gone? You know, that whole thing... Uh, let's not let's not talk about uh, anything with the coronavirus. I don't want to talk about it.
Right. Well, it, 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 it did uh, not look good for Jake, Jake Tapper to back off that way. I mean, that's just not the, how you conduct. I mean, a, a real interviewer would say, no, no, you, you don't. I'm going to ask the questions. Your answers are your answers, but don't tell me what to ask. Uh, and I think that the failure to follow up on that is indicative of how nobody in the media wants to talk about it. I mean, even to call it a gaffe at this point is very kind. There's something, there's a continuing pattern of Joe Biden. I mean, we just saw it over the weekend again, two times, uh, where the the Delaware uh, college that he said he attended said he never attended this Delaware State. Delaware State. He spoke at it. Uh, at graduation, but he never attended it as he claimed he had. So he said, those uh, are my people. That's a historic black college. And yeah, he goes, those yeah, are so my people. I went a there. way of ingratiating himself with the audience, and it was false. Uh, you know, also, he said, when I started my Senate career 180 years ago in another speech. So, I, you know, there's so many of these, Brian, that it's hard to know what to make of them. I mean, they are no longer gaffes. Uh, there are serious doctors who believe these are these are indications, and these are not doctors uh, who have necessarily examined him, so they're reluctant to say this in a way that sounds like a diagnosis, but that these are indications and symptoms of some kind of impairment. Uh, and, and yet we're just going to pretend that mm-hmm. it's not there. We're, we're not going to see it. We're, we're, it's going sort of, to be in front of us that nobody's going to talk about it. I think President Trump will likely bring that up as well, whether Chris Wallace does mm-hmm. or not. But I think this is, a, this is a serious enough issue that it needs to be openly debated in some sense. I agree. So let's talk about the Supreme Court justice seat in a couple of minutes. We have remaining. You wrote about this. And basically, she seems to be as qualified as anybody we've ever seen go for this seat, Amy Coney Barrett. But she's going to be open and vulnerable when it comes to getting rid of Obamacare. She wrote about it and said that John Roberts blew the call. And on Roe v. Wade, she's she's very pro-life. So how does that not hurt? Forget her nomination. How does that not hurt the president? They say 80 percent of the American public is wants Roe v. Wade to stay. And now you have more than 50 percent of the public does not want Obamacare gone without a replacement. And the president doesn't have a replacement. Look, I I think uh, Amy Coney Barrett may or may not affect the election. Um, We'll see how the confirmation hearings go. Uh, Brian, as I wrote, you referenced my column. I mean, my, my main point is that. In her 2017 confirmation, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, talked about Barrett's faith and said that the dogma lives loudly within you. For her, that was a problem. And it's worth noting that only three Democrats in the Senate voted to confirm Barrett. And that was the only real issue, uh, was, was whether she was too, too religious and therefore, she, her religion would override her constitutional duty. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, some subtle reminders of that again. And I think it goes to the heart of really what I think is maybe the biggest issue in our country today is that the split between the parties on matters of faith. The Democrats are becoming ever more secular. The Republicans are becoming ever more religious. And I think we're going to see that play out in the Supreme Court. It's often not discussed in these ways, but I think there is a real prejudice against faith in 
in this country now, particularly from the left. They, they, they diminish your point of view if, you, if it comes from faith, that somehow you can worship at the altar of socialism right. and you are taken seriously. But if you worship God, well, we have to, you know, we can't talk about that here. It's like, how do you feel about this program? Well, let me tell you, I, I feel about it this way because of my faith. No, no, we can't talk about faith. And, and I just think that there's something wrong when we, when, we, when we diminish faith in that way. I mean, faith helped build this country. It is fundamental to, to the social and, and educational and health care institutions, to the philanthropy of many religious institutions, to the faith of individuals, from the law enforcement to the military to child care. Faith is a bedrock for many, many Americans, mm-hmm. and yet it, it, is, it is squished to the side gotcha. and demonized in the public sphere. And that is not right. what the separation of church and state requires. Well, and, I th- and I think we're going to get a lesson of that in the Barrett hearings. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. When we go back to your calls, one 408 7669 Then we go to the ca- inside the campaign with Corey Lewandowski as well as Dave Bossy. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I clerked for Justice Scalia more than 20 years ago, but the lessons I learned still resonate. His judicial philosophy is mine too. A judge must apply the law as written. Judges are not policymakers, and they must be resolute in setting aside any policy views they might hold. And that was uh, Amy Coney Barrett, very impressive with her seven kids, her husband there, uh, getting an Odyssey minivan and making their way through an Air Force supply plane to Washington, D.C. for Saturday at 5 o'clock. It leaked out way ahead of time. The president would make it official. His words were perfect, as were hers, even adjusted the microphone for her to make sure it was down to her height. And now the uh, fun will start. Let's go out to Chris. Listen on WDBO in Orlando. Chris. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Well, I was just thinking it might be a great opportunity for Trump to segue about his income taxes and the forms and how complicated the tax laws are to just go right into simplifying tax and making the tax reform part of the new plank for his new, next administration in the next four years. It's an idea. Uh, but, you know, with complex real estate, there's all these incentives. So people buy buildings and, and uh, go ahead and invest in enterprise zones and things like that. And they're, they're in a he's in a business where depre- depreciation matters a lot when it comes to taxes. So if you start taking a lot of that away, you lose some of the incentives to build. We all want to see build and innovation. It brings more taxes and more things to other people that aren't buying buildings and golf courses. So there's a lot to it, but he's got to explain it, I think, now. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. I think something like this Supreme Court fight really fuses the fate of President Trump with the fate of Senate Republicans further down the ballot. 
which if you are a Republican in a red state, that's great news for you. If you are Joni Ernst, Tom Tillis, someone who has been polling maybe a little below President Trump in your state, this may remind those wobbly Republicans, this is why we fight, this is what the president wants to do, this is why you need to send him a Republican Senate. Kristen Sanders uh, Anderson, and uh, she's a, an analyst, so she's telling you what's at stake with the Supreme Court justice nominee on the day before the debates and uh, 36 days before the election, we're an election in which more than likely we're not going to have a winner or loser because so many of these states have allowed ballots to come in way after November 3rd. I mean, Michigan, two weeks, 14 days. What is it, Pony Express? You're in Michigan, you mail in your ballot, and you're going to give 14 days for it to arrive? Uh, that just creates doubt, and it doesn't help anybody. Corey Lewandowski joins us. Kind of happy day for him. Tomorrow it's official. It comes out. Trump, America first. The presidential succeeds against all odds. His latest book with David Bossy. You know, Corey, former campaign manager, senior advisor, uh, and now they have a brand new book out. Corey, welcome back. Brian, thank you for having me back. And, you know, it's an exciting week, Brian. Look, we were at the White House on Saturday as the president nominated his next Supreme Court justice, a woman who may be one of the greatest legal minds of her time, Amy Conan Barrett. And we were excited to see that the president said, let's have an up or down vote before this election. This election in just over five weeks, Brian, could hinge on the outcome of the Supreme Court based on what you just talked about, which is dozens, if not millions of ballots, which won't be returned by Election Day, that don't even need a postmark anymore. So we've got to get this justice through. Well, does, now you, you're into polling and you'll do it. It doesn't matter what Corey Lewandowski wants, even the president wants. Is, is What's it going to do? What is going to get you reelected if you're the president? And Siena does this poll and says 54% of the country want the next president, whoever wins the election, to make this appointment. Do you worry about the backlash there? I, Brian, I don't, and I'll tell you why. Look, I listened to Senator Tom Cotton, who four years ago advocated against uh, the confirmation of Merrick Garland. And here's the, his rationale, and I believe this, right? Those, those members of the U.S. Senate who voted against Kavanaugh uh, in the last couple of years, they were voted out of office in 2018. The check and balance has already been put in place. The, the Republicans in the U.S. Senate in 2018 expanded their majority, giving the president a clear directive that they want to see justices confirmed. We've had over 200 justices confirmed. The president has a right to do this. Justice John Paul Stevens was confirmed in 19 days, Ruth Bader Ginsburg in about 43 days. So this is not unprecedented. Twenty-nine times has a nominee for the Supreme Court faced the U.S. Senate in an election year. This is strictly partisan politics. Uh, perhaps. Uh, I just think uh, the problem was with the Merrick Garland situation, uh, it was just too close to an election. But it was his first term, not his second term, and they did not have the power of the Senate. So we'll see how that goes and, most importantly, how it resonates with the American people. Now, if Democrats are smart, and that's a huge leap, they will not focus on her religion. They will not ask her who, who signed her yearbook like they did with Kavanaugh, and I am not kidding. They were talking about his yearbook and what he wrote in people's yearbook in high school. They will focus on two major decisions, Roe v. Wade, as well as the Obamacare decision, which once again is at the Supreme Court. If you are the president and you are uh, Barrett, how do you prepare for those questions? It's not going to hurt the president on Election Day. Well, you know, Brian, let me just remind the listeners of something. Article 6 of the Constitution is crystal clear. 
We cannot have a religious freedom test for any individual who's being considered for a federal position, whether, whether it be in the courts, whether it's a low-level person who's working anywhere in the federal government. The Constitution explicitly prohibits a religious liberty test for a person. Uh, Senator Feinstein, three years ago when the confirmation hearing took place, uh, clearly violated the Constitution in talking about the dogma, the Catholic dogma that lives strong in this particular judge. This woman should be judged on her credentials, on her practice of law, of her understanding of the Constitution. And from what I have spoken to the president about, he has not asked her about Roe v. Wade. I don't know if that case is going to come up and uh, a, a relook at that case will come up in the next two years or 20 years. But they we do say there are 12 cases working their way up to that to, to the Supreme Court. But, 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 Brian, look, I don't think it's a one litmus test case. And, and I think we have to judge this candidate on the totality of her work. She clerked for Justice Scalia, who said she, he was her best student ever. Right. I mean, if you can't take that as high praise from Antonin Scalia, then I don't know what is. Now, I got to also ask you, Corey, David Bossy, does he have any teacher that told him he was uh, he was her, their best te- their best student ever. There is no chance. There is zero chance that Bossy ever got that compliment. <laughs> Look, maybe the teacher who was late for everything said, "Hey, I like because you're late for everything." Right, David Bossy. No chance. David, do you want to yes, rebut sir. that? How many teachers said you were the smartest person they ever taught? Very simple answer. Zero. <laughs> zero. 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 I'm an honest guy about that. I, you know, I wasn't the best student. Uh, I try to make my children better students than I was, uh, which is not exactly hard. But your career has so been incredible, can... and a lot, of, a lot of what your steering did in 2016 got the president to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, and we're just talking about some of these issues. And this is why you must get this all the time. People say to me, who do I think is going to win this election? I go, what time is it? You never know what new issue is going <laughs> to pop up. Uh, Ruth sure. Bader Ginsburg passing tragically last weekend, and then this week with the, uh, with the taxes. The nominee, who is good, but she's going to bring challenges too. And now with the with the taxes, David. Before we talk about the book with uh, with you and Corey, which is pretty much the same thing, what are your thoughts about the long rumored release of taxes that's going against the president's will? We don't know if these are it, uh, but they don't yeah, really deny it. But go ahead. Look, Brian, we don't know exactly what was leaked to the New York Times, how they got them, what they have. Uh, there's more questions than answers in their material. What we do know is that the New York Times four years ago tried to perpetrate uh, the same stories, uh, the same uh, exact line of of issues to try to defeat this president then in 2016. And clearly they're doing it again. They they have an agenda. The New York Times does it just like many in the mainstream media. They want to defeat this president. They were desperate to do it in 16, and they've spent the last four years hating this president and, and writing every negative thing they can. So am I surprised that they come up with some story that says he only paid a few dollars in taxes? No, I don't know what he's paid in taxes. We, 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 I have no idea, but I can tell you, my guess is they're not exact. They're not right when they say 750 bucks. I, I just think that they, they, they're putting their credibility on the line with such a, a low number. Uh, and I don't even know how they could come up with that number. This, this, his, his uh, uh, businesses were just tremendously successful in these, in these years. And there's just no way to do that. 
So, uh, Corey, I'll bring it to you. If, if you're running this campaign again, and David, you want to chime in, uh, Alan Cart, uh, Garten, said, he's a lawyer for the Trump Organization, said, quote, most of, if not all, of the facts appear to be inaccurate and requested the documents. They would not give him the documents, so he declined to provide the records in order to protect his sources. Garten then took direct issue with the amount of taxes, and he says you're not taking all the other things into account. But if you're, you, you guys are known to be on offense. The president's known to be on offense. How do you take offense here? Look, Brian, it's so simple. Number one, the New York Times committed a felony by releasing this information. Dean Baguette said that he would be, he was willing to go to jail to get Donald Trump's tax returns. Well, he's gotten his tax returns, and there is there is a freedom of the press, Brian, but there's also a privacy issue here. But more importantly than that, here's what Donald Trump has said, and every business owner in America has said. You dummies in Washington, D.C. wrote the tax law. I took advantage of every single tax break that I could get because I had an obligation to my family and my businesses to return as much money as possible to them. Joe Biden is the one who wrote the tax law. And so if Donald Trump did everything by the book and didn't have to pay taxes, then that's the stupidity of the people in Washington who wrote the tax laws. What this president has done in the last four years is he's redefined the tax code so that every American gets a tax cut. Under Joe Biden's administration, if he were to get one, 82 percent of Americans would see a tax increase. So as it relates to this story, if the president did everything legally and he didn't have to pay any federal income tax, right. good for him. Because if God I could bless do it, him. I would, too, as a small business owner. So, David, yeah, go, and let me, and, and go and Brian, let me just let me just go because I'm I'm an offense minded yep. guy, just like you were saying. I want to make sure that the American people are focused on the issues that affect them. Okay, so if you want to talk about higher taxes versus lower taxes, if you want to talk about more job killing regulations versus less uh, regulation, if you want to talk about uh, open borders versus border security, if you want to talk about anarchy in the streets and defunding the police versus supporting law and order and the men and women in blue, that's the issue. Those are the issues in this campaign. There's no more, no less. And and that's what the president's going to focus on tomorrow night at the debate. That's what he should be focusing on to every minute between now and Election Day so that the American people understand what's at stake. It's the future of America. What is at stake is what are what the opportunities are for our children and our grandchildren. No, this is a big election. Guys like Corey and I have said for years, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Well, guess what? This one really is. This is the most consequential election of my right. lifetime, and without question. All right. By the way, the market's up almost 500 points, so they're not too worried about this. So tell me about this book. The other ones were characterized by your sit-downs with the president to get additional insight into what he's thinking. But now it's called Trump America First. You can officially pick it up in bookstores tomorrow, but you can order it now. The president succeeds against all odds. How do you characterize, characterize success, Corey? You know, Brian, this book is a lot like uh, Let Trump Be Trump. Dave and I take you behind the scenes on Air Force One, uh, at the campaign headquarters, at the rallies, inside the Oval Office. We talk about the opportunity to help shape some of the policies and talk about how this campaign was off to an amazing start before the world of COVID shut basically the economy down. And then we go through and delineate in each of the chapters towards the end of the book the success of the president rebuilding our military, rebuilding our federal judiciary reforming our immigration system, renegotiating our bad trade deals, and how those issues came to be. It's the promises he made four years ago and the promises he's kept. And at the tail end of the book, we talk a lot about the failures of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden because I don't think the American people understand just how corrupt 
that kid is and how much money he's actually profited off of his father over the last five decades in office. Uh, that's, is that the, that's not the way you see it, David, right? <laughs> no, it's a totally different book. <laughs> and, and by the way, since I wrote the whole David thing. Has, David hasn't read the book yet, Brian, so don't give away all the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, Brian, what, what Corey's talking about is, is exactly right. This is, a, this is a great and fun read. I think people will get – uh, people who read Let Trumpy Trump, Our Wild Ride in 2016, will really enjoy this one because, we, as, as Corey said, we take them on Air Force One. We take them to the New Hampshire primary. We take them to the Iowa caucus. We take them to our, our events down at Mar-a-Lago. We take them all around the country that, as we uh, get an opportunity to be kind of – you know, a fly on the wall, so do the people reading this book. They get to see exactly what's going on uh, and how it happens every day, because I think that's the fun of the campaign, and that's what we try to bring to life in this book. And I think people read it, you know, they're going to love it. They're going to read about his his long list of accomplishments, and we go through a lot of that, because this reelection is about those promises made, promises kept uh, from uh, from 2016, and I think that you know, then we we get into we get into some of the issues, but then we also talk about Joe Biden, and we talk about this, the, how the campaign had to deal with COVID and 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 shutting it down and then reopening it, and and you know, having the having built right. the biggest campaign in American history, and then having to shut that thing down and go viral, uh, you know, virtually, uh, virtual campaigning was really a, a thing that had never been done before. Obviously, but it's a it, the, the book's tremendous, right. and I, I I hope people get a chance to read it and have fun with it. I'm sure it will be, uh, and it comes out officially tomorrow. You can go to your Barnes and Noble and get it, or Books a Million. But guys, lastly, Brad Parscale last night reportedly was. Uh, close to suicide to the point where his wife called the police. They used the Baker Act and they put him into the into a hospital. Um, he was running this campaign. I'm just wondering if you could tell our listeners who he used to come on a lot uh, how he's doing. What you could tell us? Well, you know, Brian, uh, we don't have any information other than what's been publicly reported. But let me say this: um, you know, I had that job. I know what the stress is and. Uh, my family and, and our prayers go to Brad and his family, and clearly a lot of us miss signs of either issues that were affecting him or uh, ways that we need to do better. And politics is a, it's truly a blood sport, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's You fight for what you believe in, but there are things that are bigger than politics. And so um, you know, I, I will tell you that I, I will do anything I can to help Brad make sure he gets the help that he needs. Nobody should ever have to feel that that is their only solution and um we have to put that into perspective of our own lives yeah it's so right and brad you know brad helped build this enormous machine and and you know i feel i I feel incredibly badly for him and his family that he thought uh, that this was you know the pressures are just tremendous and guys like Corey and i have been through it we you know there's not a lot of people who understand those pressures and uh, that are that he's under but it is it it, it's I feel badly that we missed the signs of it, um, and we don't know exactly what's going on in his head. But uh, you know, we hope for the best for him and his family, and we're praying for him. And you know, he he did an amazing job uh, trying to get this candidate campaign in the right place. And you know, we have to uh, you know win this thing. 
Uh, Corey Lewandowski, Dave Bossy, go out and pick up their book. You're going to get insights because the president trusts them. He'll tell them things uh, that he wouldn't tell anybody else. Trump, America first. The president succeeds against all odds. And, Corey, eventually we knew Dave would join us, and it actually happened. So it was, it's great <laughs> right. to know. Just, just like last week, a little late than never, as we know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Right. Thanks, Brian. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Joe, you've had such an incredible career. You, you've led, in my opinion, with great compassion and, and heart and drive, uh, but also soul. And... You and I talked about that in the past and how important soul is. And uh, Kamala, I'm going to embarrass you just for a little bit because I'm going to talk a little bit about your uh, your amazing experience. And you have been an attorney, a district attorney, a state attorney, uh, a U.S. senator, smart, tough. I've seen you in those hearings. In, in my opinion, you are a certified badass. I, I'm honored and thank you for that. That's a huge compliment. And uh, it looks like The Rock is coming out for Joe Biden. Kamala Harris, a uh, very popular number one box office star, great guy, and bigger than life physically, with a, with a shirt that would be tight on me. Did you see him give this speech? Uh, Out this of all the things to comment on, you love commenting on the tight shirts. Uh, hey, and also he, uh, he had coronavirus and beat it. He did. Yeah, we'll see if that affects anything. Julie, listen on FM News Talk 97.1 in St. Louis. Julie. Hey, I got two comments. First, uh, when... Chris or Biden asked Trump about his tax returns. He shouldn't just say it was legal. He should go further and say, have you paid more than you owe on April 15th in any year? Because nobody does. People pay what they owe. Absolutely. Second, second on the, I hate the word gaffe referring to what Biden says. Biden's worst performance in the campaign was during his debate during the primary. There should have been commercials running just playing that. Using the word gas just sort of trivializes it, and that's the way for the media to easily sort of flip it off. And Good say, point. Oh, Julie, I, li- I like both those points. You help the show. Like everyone, every time we go to 97.1, I always get great listeners like you. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a great weekend. I'm sure you did. Uh, if you had some weather to enjoy, but at least you had it to yourself if you did. Uh, we're looking forward to that debate. I don't know anyone that's not. Tuesday night, it'll be at 9 o'clock Eastern time. We'll go for about 90 minutes. There'll be six topics. Chris Wallace will do the uh, will do the moderating, and he pretty much knows where he's going to go. At least he thought so. And then, of course, we have the Supreme Court justice seat and the tax returns and things have gone a little bit crazy. You'll have to adjust the format. But most of all, I think President Trump and Joe Biden got to have strategies going in. We'll go review what, what they should be going over, and we'll do that. We'll talk that over with Brett Baer. Also, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has to run for election every two years. He has a Republican opponent, uh, and at 11.20 in about 10 minutes, we'll have a chance to talk to him. So let's get to the big three. 
According to these new documents, in 10 of the previous 15 years, the president paid no income tax, largely because his businesses reported losing much more money than they actually earned. Or they could call it depreciation, and maybe we all don't know what it's like in high-level real estate. That might be something to think about as we talk about the big three here. Uh, we have, after four years of delay, somehow the New York Times got two decades of Trump taxes. They claim we have not seen the taxes, only their summary. Does it matter? Number two. Today it is my honor to nominate one of our nation's most brilliant and gifted legal minds to the Supreme Court. She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And that's it. She officially is the Trump's latest nominee, the third in four years. The nomination is made, and now the scrutiny starts. As Democratic boycott takes shape, four senators already said they don't want to talk to her. And fear-mongering begins on her faith, Obamacare, Roe v. Wade. What's the reality behind the rhetoric? Number one. One of these two people uh, is going to be the next president of the United States. And my job is to be as invisible as possible. If I've done my job right, at the end of the night, people will say, that was a great debate. Who was the moderator? Yeah, maybe. But I think that's a little different than the rest, Chris. But I, that's a very humble way to do it. Debate day E. Both men feel the pressure, and they know they'll be attacked. And they both got to get their defenses ready and their policies ready for scrutiny. Trump's taxes are now out, summarized in the New York Times. And a Supreme Court justice seat is in play. And to that, the Ukrainian investigation, if the... They revealed that Hunter Biden's got some really dicey relationship with Eastern Europe prostitutes, as well as a Moscow mayor, and uh, also in China. So if the Chris Wallace does not bring that up, you just know that Donald Trump will. We'll discuss all those things. But first things first. In the polls, they don't look great right now. Battleground states, uh, according to a real clear average, Biden and Trump in a virtual dead heat in Florida. In Pennsylvania, Biden by four. In Wisconsin, in Wisconsin uh, Biden by seven. In Michigan... It is Biden by five. In Arizona, it is Biden by three. In North Carolina, basically a dead heat. So if it's in within the margin of error, the Trump, I think, takes it. If it's not, they say Wisconsin's not close. I find it hard to believe, especially with all the unrest they've experienced. But CBS says Georgia is now close. Wisconsin has Biden up by 10. In Michigan, according to NBC Maris poll, it is Biden by uh, eight. So we'll see if this is accurate. And if this is inaccurate, we'll probably never, ever use the polls again. At least they'll never be with Trump because most people do not want to go around uh, and start talking that they're with Trump because people like to label you as a racist, sexist, misogynist as if he is that. And it's just not true. So the strategies for the debate tomorrow, if especially the president's considering himself losing. The Democratic playbook, focus attacks and question on the Supreme Court justice on what she's going to do, and that's take away health care. What she's going to do, going to take away women's right to choose. Why does that matter? Because the president of the United States famously is losing suburban moms, 80% of which are pro-choice, supposedly, or uh, pro-leaving Roe v. Wade in place. Uh, So what is the, the right policy? For Trump, Trump will need to tweak his language, according to Frank Luntz, instead of law and order, Talk about public safety. What he should not do, according to Frank, who's a genius at this, is attack Biden's mental fitness. If the former VP is having a bad night, we will see it. You don't want to come off 
mean? And there's Trump's strongest asset, Biden's long record in government. He have to address with a single question. If you fail for 47 years, why should you have success now? Biden game plan. Biden should approach, according to Frank, the debate like a prosecutor before the jury. Build a case that Donald Trump does not deserve four more years. And for the 94% of the country, Frank says, who have already made up their minds, policies matter. But for the 6% uh, don't matter. But for the 6% who are stubbornly undecided, it means much more. Will the tax forms coming out hurt the president? Working with Rudy and Chris Christie, he feels like he's ready. Ron Klain, longtime chief of staff of the president, vice president when he was vice president, has been acting as Donald Trump. For Trump, he says, according to reports, he's going to use the tough guy persona, because I think it's the only one he has, I might add. Uh, He'll have the tough guy persona. And here's the thing that's going to be a great advantage for him. He actually knows the issues now. He doesn't have to memorize them. He doesn't use theory. He's not going to be surprised because he deals with the daily brief on a daily basis. You tell him about Belarus four years ago, you don't know what you're talking about. You tell him now, he knows exactly what you're talking about. Our nuclear arms deal, he didn't know what kind of deal we had with Russia, but he knew enough after a couple of years that we have to get out of this, they're cheating it, and we're trying to get a new one. In NATO, we want him to step up. They did step up, but he didn't really know these countries. Now he knows them. So when Biden turns around and says the president doesn't know anything, that's when I think he's in trouble because the president actually knows it because he lives it. It's like, uh, does he know how to do, uh, buy a building? Yes. He lives it. So Joe Biden says, I expect it to be personal. Cut six. Look, the people know the president's a liar. I mean, they know that. Uh, it's not like it's uh, um, it's going to come as a surprise to them. And so I'm prepared to go out and make my case as to why I think he's failed. My guess is it's going to be just straight attack. They're going to be mostly personal. That's the only thing he knows how to do. Here's the president yesterday in his press conference. Uh, cut four. How are you preparing? Is somebody playing Joe Biden in the debate with you? Are you doing debate prep at all? Yeah, we are doing it. Uh, these two gentlemen have been helping. And Kaylee's there. We have who plays Biden for you? I mean, who's- uh, I, I would say maybe a combination of these two, and either one of them is about five times smarter than Sleepy Joe. But we had a little debate prep before we came here. I think this whole thing, though, is debate prep. You know, what I do is debate prep every day. How many hours would you say you've spent on no, debate you know, prep? A little time. I mean, not a lot. I'm running a country. I'm not- <laughs> I had a country to run. But that's why Barack Obama got in trouble. That's why Ronald Reagan got in trouble. That's why George Bush got in trouble. They were so busy running the country and they knew the issues, they weren't that worried about it. But my sense is none of those pre- previous presidents I mentioned were scraping up against the a brutal media three times a day, which he's doing. And he sat down with Jonathan Swan, Chris Wallace, and others that, uh, that will not give him a walk in the park, to say the least. In fact, they're looking to score big time. What I thought was interesting is Philippe Reigns, who's on Fox & Friends Weekend, he talked about preparing Hillary Clinton for Donald Trump. Cut 10. It's the ability to not talk about what is being asked about, uh, the digressions, the non-sequiturs. It's really who we see every day uh, at the White House talking to the media or, frankly, in interviews, including on Fox and including to Chris Wallace. And that gets mm-hmm. very difficult to do because, you know, you get trained over life to kind of answer people when they ask you a question. You know, you just asked me something and I didn't start going off about my favorite television show. True. I just thought it was interesting. And he said that also Trump is tough, but he also says he also gets focused. Cut 11. I know I'm supposed to play the expectations game, um, but you know what? 
I'm pretty confident in Joe Biden's abilities. And, you know, this idea of not talking up to press, let's set that aside about whether or not it's true or fair. You know, President Trump has said, I think, on Fox and Friends about a week and a half ago that his debating practice is, in fact, talking to press. And I don't see that as comparable. First of all, he only does it when he wants to. He does it. Um, he speaks about what he wants to. He speaks about it as, as long as he wants it. He calls on who he wants. He ends it when he wants to. That's not a debate, especially with Chris Wallace, who's going to run a pretty tight mm. ship. See, I, I thought that was interesting. He will. And the, he'll say, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, Mr. President. Yes. Just sticking with that. He'll do that. But he'll finish his point. He'll make his point. And those are all good. Uh, those are good points. But just rubbing against people that are trying to catch you in a tough question about what you did, not being able to turn it over to Joe Biden. Say, what about this guy? But it's not the president. The president's got to handle what he did and rationalize what he's doing. And lastly, cut 12. Something that's very different about four years ago is that what was very tough about Donald Trump and what Hillary realized, too, she never thought he was easy, was that within the kind of word salad, he was very laser focused on trade, health care, um, mm-hmm. uh, the swamp and, and immigration. And no matter how op- odd it was sounding, he banged on it over and over again. Now, every time he has a camera in front of him, he can't help but list and go through his grievances. And that's not message. And you know what? President Trump needs these debates far more than Joe Biden yeah. does. By her uh, own polls, it's yeah. not going well for him. Well, I'm not saying it's not going well for him, but I do think he, he does want the debates. He does need the debates. Uh, the tax records. They say he paid no taxes for 10 to 10 of the last 15 years. Also hanging over his head a decade-long audit battle with the IRS, just like he's been claiming. They also said hanging over his head, he's got $300 million in loans out over the next three years. I don't consider that a big deal, judging by the amount of properties he has and the way people reorganize loans because their interest rates keep dropping. Examining the Trump organization's tax record, a curious pattern emerges between 2010-2018. Trump wrote off some $26 million in unexplained consulting fees as a business expense. I don't know. Let him explain it. The report that Mr. Trump owns hundreds of million dollars of valuable assets is true, but they do not reveal his true wealth. Yeah, but he's got a lot of stuff that he owns. Trump collected $5 million on a hotel bill in Azerbaijan, which is now having trouble now, and he has a, a hotel built in UAE, but that helped. All I know is the UAE is now having peace with Israel. I don't really know what went bad about that. So we'll see if that's a major issue. But just know this. Trump will not sit there and be a victim. He's going to come out with something, whether it's his tax records to hand over or an attack on Joe Biden to totally reverse it. Like what he did with Bill Clinton and put all the women that accused him of raping, of him raping them and brought him out there the day after the uh, Access Hollywood tape. And he ends up winning the election. one 408 7669 The man that wants to unseat AOC in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Let this moment radicalize you. We need to focus on voting for Joe Biden. I don't care if you like him or not. This is not over. You know, we win in November. I'm sorry to tell you, you're not going back to brunch. We're not going back to brunch. That's not happening. 
I guess we're not allowed to eat at 11 o'clock on Sunday. John Cummings is a high school government teacher, former Harbor Unit police officer, and challenging AOC as a Republican in the November 3rd election. Uh, John, if you win, can we go to brunch? Yeah, I, I think we can. Uh, you know, up here in the, the Bronx and Queens, Brian, and thanks for having me on again, uh, you know, people really aren't worried about brunch. You know, people are more worried about safe streets and jobs and reopening schools. And, and brunch isn't really on the top of our list right now. Yeah, I guess so. So she came out and basically warned Joe Biden in a in a tweet, you know, don't put us down uh, and Bernie Sanders down. We're out there banging doors for you. Do you really believe that she has Joe Biden's best interest in mind? No, I really don't. I really think that that former Vice President Biden is, you know, just Bernie Sanders propped up in a suit. I mean, it's obviously the socialist platform. You know, the Democrat platform is the socialist platform. And, you know, the tepid support that Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez gives to Biden, even in that in that little soundbite that you just played, I think tells you all you need to know. There's, there's a disconnect there. So why do you think you could beat her in a heavy Democratic district? It's a very interesting district. You know, it's really a working class district. And I think one of the most important things that people have to realize about this district is it is heavily Democrat. It's not heavily socialist. Uh, We had a meet and greet the other day, probably close to 100 people there. About 75 percent of them were Democrats, all that to support me. They realize that this choice is very clear and it gets more clear every day. It's liberty versus socialism. And while many of them are Democrats, a lot of union people, you know, they like their 401ks. They like their health insurance. Uh, They're not socialists. They're not buying into it. They don't like the fact that the congresswoman has completely abandoned the district for national attention. Everybody's on to that. And I think the choice is clear. And if if people want to find out where I stand on the issue, you can go to Cummings2020.com, Cummings2020.com. All right. So right now, an internal poll about 400 voters in your district, the 14th district, uh, in May found that 46 percent had a favorable view of her. And 35 percent had an unfavorable view of her. You believe that you could you uh, you see that as vulnerability? Oh, absolutely. If you look at the number of registered voters, I mean, I've seen some conflicting numbers. But one that I see often is that there's 200,000 Democrats and 30,000 Republicans and your favorability ratings are 46 percent. And I'm quite sure that they've gone down because of her silence on, you know, the violence in the streets, defunding police is certainly not popular in this district. This is a law and order district. People want protection. People want to be able to send their children to school. You know, the schools are reopening and crime is rampant in the streets. People don't want that. So uh, there's a real disconnect between her and the voters. I'm not surprised. She's not here. She's not interested in representing the district. I've lived and worked in this district for 60 years, and, and I will take that to Washington with me. I understand that. John Cummings is a high school government teacher, former cop, former Harbor, as I mentioned, former Harbor Unit police officer. Would you learn as a police officer uh, that would think you help me help you make a better congressman? One of the most important skills that you have as a police officer, and really as a teacher as well, is communication. You need to be able to communicate as a police officer. You need to be able to read situations. You need to be able to read people. You need to be able to sit down with people who don't agree with you and listen to what they have to say and then take that with you as the situation progresses, or in this case in Washington, would be to take that down to Washington. I'm interested in representing all the people of New York 14, not just a very small group. And I think that's really what the House of Representatives is all about. I think uh, for that, I think you're right in many respects. Also, 
what I think people are, are missing is the city is uh, just dying on a vine before our eyes. On top of that, kids got to get to school, but the schools aren't ready. And to the point where the Principals Association are saying, Mayor de Blasio, hand this over to somebody else. How do you get the schools open? That's really a difficult question to answer. I mean, obviously, the mayor and the chancellor couldn't do it. And, and one of the issues that they're not even speaking about, and they'll, they'll find this out when the public schools, the public high schools reopen, you know, the, the Catholic schools and the private schools open. But one of the issues that the public schools are going to face, and we faced it in the Catholic school, is that we have an increasing number of parents who don't want to send their high school-age students to school because they use mass transit and they don't feel it's safe. I mean, that's something that needs to be addressed. I would love to see, and I know it'll never happen, I would love to see Mayor de Blasio admit his mistake and reinstate the plainclothes anti-crime unit before schools reopen. I think that would put some parents at ease and perhaps we can get things somewhat back to normal. All right. Uh, okay, that's uh, be kind of interesting. So what's the last polls you've seen? Well, we've, we've done some internal polling, and they're, they're very favorable. I mean, we're, we're within single digits, which is, is really positive for us. And as I said, I think it'll get closer and closer as Election Day approaches, mostly because the choice is clear. But it's you don't have any Republican machine behind you, John. That's the problem, right? Well, no, I'll tell you what. The state's been, the state's been very helpful, and locally the, the, the county leaders have been very helpful. We have an unbelievable grassroots gotcha. campaign going on here. It's going really well, Brian. So if you want to find out more, at Cummings 2020. Best of luck, John Cummings. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. My father's paid tens of millions of taxes. If he does things in certain years where you get depreciation, where you get write-off, where you get historical tax credits like we did when we took on the risk of building the old post office in D.C., it's the perfect example. That was literally a government contract. We bid against every hotel company in the world. Historical tax credits that you use to offset tax payments for taking the risk to build that. That was done under the Obama administration. It literally took an act of Congress to get it done. So with that comes historical tax credits. That's the reality. People don't understand what goes into a business. It doesn't include property taxes. It doesn't include payroll taxes. It doesn't include real estate taxes. It doesn't include so many of the things that he's been paying taxes on forever, as he's also putting thousands and thousands of people to work on an annual basis. But of course, the New York Times does this. They put out a selective you know, picture of all of these things the day before a debate to try to give someone like Joe Biden you know, sound bites. And that's the game. Yeah, that is uh, Donald Trump Jr. Did not know he was booked on Friday before this tax stuff came out, but he was more than happy to take the question with the revelations that have em- revelations that emerged from the New York Times. If we're to believe them, they do not provide their supporting documents. Uh, Brett Baer is chief political anchor of Fox News, fresh off television, getting set uh, to work tonight and bring us the pre and post game. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. So we got to get into big time real estate tax rules and regulations to understand what these uh, taxes mean. Uh, first off, what is your takeaway from them? Well, I think my takeaway is is the similar takeaway to 2016 when a story like this, not as detailed, came out ahead of one of the debates then. I think uh, President Trump now's answer will be similar. Uh, he's fighting the overall uh, in that the lawyer pushed back saying that it's not accurate. 
Um, but he will, if pressed, I think, say everything I did was legal, just as you heard Donald Trump Jr. say. And if you want me to pay more, then change the laws, and I will. But this is – I'm operating within the law. Yeah. Now, from a, from a PR perspective on the, on the big picture, Democrats will take this as an effort to really go after, you know, I'm the guy from Scranton. He's the guy from Park Avenue. Um, I'm the guy that, you know, is, is like you. He's, you know, not paying – he's paying $750 and makes millions and millions. And, and the comeback would be, Brett, excuse me, how many people do you employ? How many buildings have you built? How many uh, construction workers have gotten jobs because I was able to put together a deal to buy this building, to buy this apartment complex, to buy this golf course? Right. So, And I think, you know, those are all good points. I, I don't know how much in the debate they're going to go down the rabbit hole of explaining real estate, real estate tax credits and, um, <laughs> you know, and the discrepancies. But I do think that uh, there will be some dealing with this this story so as you understand that more is coming is this part of a series it sounds it sounds like it it sounds like they're going to dig in more however you know what they say in the piece is that they did not find any um any ties to russia that were not already previously disclosed um they didn't find that the family was making buku dollars off of the presidency in fact, the, the headline of the story is that the businesses are losing money. Um, so, you know, those narratives kind of go by the wayside unless there's some other piece that uh, that does something different. Which uh, that's a really good point. The other thing it shows is there is an IRS uh, audit going on. There is a dispute. So it does back up what he was saying. Which a lot of Democrats said, you know, was was bull. And here it is in the black and white of the New York Times. So that talking point goes away too. So. Um, you know, that said, the intricacies of tax law uh, and how much he paid or didn't pay, you know, just brings up um, that, one, he's a businessman, and two, is he really as successful as he said he was? In the big picture, let's talk about it. I just don't know if Park Avenue blue collar is going to be – is going to resonate when but the base of President Trump is high school-educated white voters – who already met him, and they buy the blue-collar thing. Yeah, and they also buy that the media, for the most part, has been tilted and against this president. And, um, and the, you know, the Trump administration points to the Russia story and the revelations about that that we're, reached, that we're getting even now, years after all of that started. Uh, so there is a serious doubt about you know, the timing of the release, you know, but listen, this, this battle, it will continue uh, until he or they release the actual records. And, um, you know, the president could, could end that right now, I suppose. Yeah. That you just wonder with the president that lives off the offense, if he's going to sit there and just be defensive on this, or if there's something else he's going to do uh, and what might be on something on Joe Biden's background and he might turn around, and I was just were you watching some of the debate with Hillary Clinton, uh, with with uh, Chris Wallace moderating Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and Trump changed the subject a lot, different from what would, would 
the moderator put out. So Wallace would bring up one thing, Hillary would answer, and then he would jump in, and then next thing you know, they're talking about something else. I think if Chris does not bring it up, he is going to hit the investments of Hunter Biden and the Ukraine and this Moscow mayor and China and traveling in Air Force Two. Number one, do you think Chris brings it up? Because it doesn't get major traction from Ron Johnson's study. And number, do you think that Trump brings it up if he doesn't? One way or the other, or another, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's brothers are coming up in this debate. I would suspect that it's President Trump who brings them up, but I don't know. Chris could ask a question under the the uh, bucket of records, you know, and and past. Interesting. If he doesn't, President Trump will. So. What do you hear as the president's preparation for this? You know, we saw Chris Christie and Rudy Giuliani come out yesterday, Kaylee McEnany as well. Kaylee's probably really good at this because she gets the fire every day. So explanations on what Donald Trump does, which is unorthodox, to be kind, a lot of times it has to be explained by Kaylee or, or whether it's Sarah Sanders. We understand that. Now the president, do you think the president is going to fall into the same trap as Bush 43, as Ronald Reagan, as as Barack Obama, and be slow off the mark in the first debate because they, they've they been out of practice? Yeah, I don't think Trump fits that mold. I don't think President Trump, he answers so many questions, more questions than we've seen any president answer. It's every day he's, he's holding a news conference or a walkout to Marine One, or, and other presidents just didn't do that. They they didn't. I, I remember covering George Bush, and you know we were lucky to get a formal news conference, and then some you know occasional yelled questions go into a plane. But Donald President Trump does it every day. So in that he's got reps. But I think that you saw Chris Christie and Mayor Giuliani there uh, because those viral moments, the ones that really take off online, and you think about. Those are not just moments that come off the top of your head. Those are moments that you work on and you murder board and you say, this is what he's going to say here. You're going to say this and he's going to say this and then you say this. And that stuff is scripted. Yeah, and it, the only thing I think he's got to know is what uh, what what Joe Biden said in the past. I mean, he put his hand up and said, "I'm for giving illegal immigrants health care." He said before, "I'm going to get rid of fossil fuels. And I'm going to get rid of fracking." He told Bernie Sanders, "I'm going to get rid of fracking." Now he says he's not. So if the president would help himself by saying, "You know, you told a young lady in such and such place in, a, in an open field." They look me in the eye. I'm getting rid of fossil fuels. I'm going to save the planet. Well, you told Bernie Sanders that you, the frack, you know, rather than just say you said once, you said another. The more specific he could be, the better it would go over. Here's Chris Wallace on the topics. Cut to. Well, everything is different about 2020. We've got the coronavirus. We've had this huge economic dislocation. Now uh, something of a recovery. We've got the racial tensions in the country, the violence on the streets. Uh, You know, it just is a different year. Uh, And and, uh, it makes it particularly tough because 90 minutes, the length of this debate is a lot of time. But there's an awful lot to ask these two men about. And and why, what kind of budget do you have to put music under everything that Chris Wallace says? (laughs) This is from your show. It's part of his contract. (laughs) He gets music out of his contract. He needs needs like the natural theme. (laughs) 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 Out of all those topics, what do you think you're most intrigued about? 
you know, listen, Joe Biden would like to keep this debate about Donald Trump and coronavirus. He would like this election to be about Donald Trump and coronavirus. And the problem is in 90 minutes, that's not the only topic. And if he continues to go back to it again and again and again, it will be like Marco Rubio in that New Hampshire debate, primary debate, where Chris Christie came out and just destroyed him and called him a robot for going back to it. So you have to be careful. One thing that President Trump is good at is he has a good grasp of pulling things back from the past. We make we joke about the memory stuff, person, camera, light, you know, whatever he said on the memory of his the test that he took. But uh, he does have a recall. He that, does. He does. That he can he can pull back way back in the way back machine uh, with pretty specific detail. And right. that's a, a benefit when you're talking about a debate where you need to make a mark. I look forward to your preview and review. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to stay up, but I'm going to watch it, Brett. So I'm going to ne- take a nap today, but I'll keep you up to date on how much I'm sleeping on Tuesday. <laughs> so I know that's going to oh, be thanks. a concern. Uh, and could you just give me a sense? I know you got to run. What's the sense of in Cleveland? Does it feel like a major event or feel very different? Well, it does feel like a major event. You know, I mean, it has. we have a big setup here, and um, and other networks are here. It's, it is different in that we have to get tested every day, COVID tested, and, and there's, you know, people with masks and, um, you know, there's not a lot of folks walking around, uh, but we're going to bounce around downtown uh, today and do some uh, some shoots for my show and, and kind of show you around Cleveland, talk to some folks about what they're thinking. All right. Uh, Indians against the Yankees. Bring that up a little bit because I think it's the first oh, yeah. series. All right. Uh, could be. That Brett Bear, have a great day. Good job. We'll see you. All right, 1-866-408-7669. Got one block left, unless I've really mistimed the show, uh, for this hour. So don't move. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This breaking news and my take, it is unlikely that we will get a John Durham interim report or any indictments before the election. Now just 37 days away, a debate has begun within the Department of Justice as the timing of John Durham's criminal investigation conclusions. I'm being told by sources it is now too close to the election and could be viewed as politically motivated. Uh, it's what a shame uh, because Durham's doing such a thorough investigation reportedly. As soon as he gets to one thing more, it gets more enticing and brings him in another direction to get people deeper and deeper into the FBI. There's a report out and William Bar- uh uh, Barnett, he's an FBI agent who t- has talked to the Mueller report, said there was absolutely a mission to go get Trump. And they all went out and got liability insurance because of the investigation. And almost everything that Trump was saying that Barnett feared. One time he was supposed to be briefed on Russia in the first week in January. And then when the Russia briefing didn't happen, got put off four days, Trump came out and said, I wonder what's going on with my Russia briefing. I guess they're working something up. And Barnett t- texted one of his colleagues, Trump knows what's going on. How does he, you know, how, how does he sense what's going on? He's actually right on this. So it's really disappointing. I understand it, though. Uh, but it never, you know, these investigations, these things, revelations came out. The New York Times wasn't worried about affecting the election. The Atlantic wasn't worried about affecting the election. This is actually a certified investigation put forward by an extremely credible U.S. attorney. I'm not too sure that they should be that concerned about the election. I know why they are. But I'm not sure why they uh, why they will. 
So now we're going to see James Comey in front of Lindsey Graham's committee on Russia. And then we're going to see Andy McCabe. And then we're going to see Peter Strzok. I'm reading Peter Strzok's book. It's amazing how he's spinning this. Maybe in his mind this is accurate. He's taken all the facts as we know it, the revelations that have come out as we know it. And then he's trying to work our way through it. The Michael Flynn part does not add up to anything. He says flat out, I don't think there's nothing about his body language and his tone and the way he's acting that shows he's lying. But there are certain things that he's saying aren't true, and I believe he knows it. Excuse me? So you go out of your way to get rid of him? Lindsey Graham on Sunday talked about what we can expect. Not only is he trying to get Amy Coney Barrett through, he's also doing this. Cut 49. He can't say that something's classified when it's been declassified. Yeah, I'm going to ask Jim Jim Comey, did you know that the man who put the dossier together for Christopher Steele was a suspected Russian spy on the payroll of the Democratic Party? If you knew that, why didn't you tell the court? Did you know that the Russian subsource was interviewed by your own agents in January and March of 2017, and he disavowed the dossier as being reliable bar talk and hearsay? And if you knew that, why didn't you tell the court? Because in April of 2017, you signed a warrant where none of this was in there. I'm going to ask him that, and I don't know. There's nothing classified about that. That's in the Horowitz report. That's true. And he goes on to talk about Andy McCabe, uh, October 6th, cut 50. The number two McCabe is coming on October the 6th. I'm very glad he is. I'm negotiating with Strzok. I want to bring in Mr. Barnett, the man who said that there was no there there in the Flynn case. Mr. Barnett was the agent in charge of investigating uh, uh, General Flynn for any suspected ties to Russia. On January the 4th, he did a memo wanting to close out the case, saying they found no evidence that General Flynn was working with the Russians in any fashion. It was January 5th meeting in the White House where they kept the, uh, the case going. And what did Mr. Barnett say? That it seems to me they were out to get Trump, that there was no there there. They kept pushing the Flynn case in spite of the evidence. Do you see what he's saying? So this William Barnett, just listen to what he's saying. I know there's so many stories going on right now, but this totally validates what Trump was saying about spying on his campaign. Even reading Peter Strzok's book, who wants you to be sympathetic to him, I keep saying to myself, why don't you just brief? He won the election. Brief him. But he he's trying to put together. You know what they said? It's like putting the game clue together. You want a result, so you're trying to make the clues fit because you have a predetermined result. And if you look to do that with an unorthodox president like he has, who just happened to hide Paul Manafort with these Eastern European contacts, who happened to have, uh, have this guy Papadopoulos, who was traveling overseas, because that's he was a foreign policy advisor that happened to bump into a guy who happens to be the ambassador downer. They say that started the whole thing. It's unbelievable. A guy the president met once who's got a very thin record, is a nice guy, but not exactly Jim Baker in his prime, is going to use contacts he doesn't have in order to set up a pathway to Vladimir Putin. Cut 51. What's the pattern here? Every time there was exculpatory evidence regarding the Carter Page uh, 
warrant, they hid it or they altered it. They never told the court that the dossier wasn't reliable. They knew it wasn't reliable. They kept using it. They weren't searching for the truth. They were trying to get an outcome. When you look at what Mr. Barnett says and the way they uh, uh, defrauded the FISA court, you get a clear picture that these people are on a mission to go after Trump, not to find the truth. I think it's clear as day and the mainstream media is ignoring this. Can you imagine if the shoe were on the other foot? That if the Republicans had Something. done this. So, Maria, there's a day of reckoning coming. Just stay tuned. And there's more coming. Okay. There's, a, there's something else coming, more damning than this, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, we're just running out of time, Senator. one 408 7669 Keep on the line. And by the way, if you want to well, listen to the show anytime, BrianKilmeadeShow.com, if you have to travel, or iTunes, or iHeart, or Spotify. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And don't forget, BrianKilmeade.com. Get any of my books. You can sign them. I'll send them. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.